The countdown is on to fight time. This is Big Fight Weekend. Now, here is your host, T.J. Reeves. Yes, yes, we are back aboard for another edition of the weekend preview here from Big Fight Weekend. Looking forward to talking about a couple of different bouts a little bit later on in the show, including a secondary heavyweight title on the line involving an American secondary heavyweight champ and a Brit that seems to be uh, one of the up-and-comers here that may be about to grab that secondary belt. Uh, Edgar Berlanga is headlining for top rank. Uh, Jaime Monguia headlining this weekend for DAZN. We're here to talk about all of that, news of the week, and much more. I am merely the somewhat competent host. He is our insider, our content partner, Big Fight Weekend uh, website and podcast. Dan Rayfield back aboard, ready for another weekend to touch him up, put the Dukes up, and go for it. Let's do it, baby. Uh, once again, to the audience, however you found us, social media link, whether you found us through the website, make sure that you go and follow and subscribe. Many more of you doing that. By the way, if you were subscribing, as I keep saying, you got automatically on your phone, on your iPad, on your device, the one-on-one that Dan Rayfield did with the outstanding trainer, a guy that probably should have already been the trainer of the year, Derek James. He works with Errol Spence. He works with Jamel Charlo. Oh, by the way, one of those guys is the unified world welterweight champion with three belts. The other one is the undisputed junior middleweight champion with four belts in Charlo. Uh, and he's even got a couple of up and coming fighters as well. Dan, just a quick plug. They need to go back on this podcast feed and hear that one on one. Some very insightful stuff. Yeah, Derek is a, is a very astute guy. He's a former pro fighter. Uh, didn't really do much as a professional, but as a trainer, he's obviously become top of the food chain. One of the best guys out there. Uh, you mentioned he works with the two, uh, the two name fighters in Charlo and Spence. He's got a young fighter named uh, Frank Martin, a lightweight, who was promoted by Errol Spence's company, who was supposed to be on uh, the undercard when uh, the other Charlo was going to defend the middleweight title against Seleski. That fight we'll talk about got postponed because of the injury, so his fight is off. But uh, uh, Derek went through all the things we discussed uh, in detail. Uh, Errol's big win in April uh, against Ordenis Ugas to unify the three welterweight belts. Uh, Charlo's the uh, uh, Jamel Charlo's recent victory against uh, Brian Castaño, uh, a, re- a rematch of their draw where he uh, stopped him in round 10 to become the undisputed junior middleweight champion. We talked about what might be next for those guys, what he would like. He talked about how uh, how excited he was uh, for for Spence to probably get the opportunity for the undisputed welterweight title against Terrence Crawford, uh, told me that the negotiations are going on, not privy to all the details, but seemed pretty um, confident, I guess, or or, uh, you know, thought that it that there was like um, cautiously optimistic, I guess, is a way to put it, that that fight would indeed get made uh, for later this year, probably in November. And, uh, you know, Derek's, uh, you know, he gave me the insight to uh, to working with those two top fighters. And we talked about, you know, his lack of not having a, uh, you know, he's a modest guy, but, you know, I had to kind of drag it out of him a little bit. But, you know, you could tell he's a little, little, I don't say disappointed, but sort of surprised, I guess, that he hasn't yet gotten a uh, trainer of the year award because he has had uh, a lot of success even before these two uh, most recent big wins by his guys. You know, when he had the two of them become unified at the same in the same year, uh, he didn't get it, but uh, look, he'll get it someday. I mean, the, the, the cream rises to the top and, you know, it's only a matter of time in my mind, but uh, yeah, I hope people go back and take a listen to that interview. Yeah, they absolutely should a good 25 minutes or so that you did with him. And one of the things that struck me, and I, I just kept thinking of this when I was listening, Dan, was whether you're talking about Michael Jordan staying after practice and shooting 50 or 100 extra jump shots, and Larry Bird kind of did the same thing, or Derek Jeter, I'm speaking your language, taking extra infield practice, even though he's a gold glover. 
Uh, the fact that Derek James would say after great performances from these guys, let's get back in the gym, let's get better. Let's improve even more. Even though you've done great things, you can still improve. I was impressed with that mentality that he's putting on his fighters. Just one more time before we move on. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, that's sort of the mentality that he imparts on these guys. I think it's a two way street. Uh, they have a desire to work hard, which makes him want to work hard. And because he works so hard they work hard, it's, you know, it's uh they have a good, they've got a good gym down there. They got a good group of guys. Who uh, who come uh, all business, come professionally, but take care of their their jobs, and uh, you can tell by the success that that Derek has had and, and his fighters have had, and uh, potentially more coming in the way of Frank Martin, a young uh, up and coming uh, undefeated lightweight. All right. By means of outline, by the way, we've got another interview that Dan scored with Joe Smith Jr., the WBO light heavyweight champion. He's got a unification fight coming next weekend with Russian Artur Beterbiev. Beterbiev has two of the heavyweight, uh, light heavyweight title belts, Joe Smith a third. So we'll hear from Joe Smith a little bit later on in this podcast. I look forward to hearing that from Dan uh, here as part of uh, Big Fight Weekend and fight picks upcoming for that Trevor Bryan, Daniel Dubois fight. Edgar Berlanga headlining, headlining for top rank. We believe he's going to win. We'll talk more about that fight. Jaime Munguia, whatever this is for DAZN in the Golden Boy DAZN show that's coming this weekend in Anaheim, California. All of that later on. All right, we have not talked since the Tuesday night, a rare Tuesday night championship fight, and it was a unification bantamweight world title fight in Japan. Naoya, the monster in a way, just destroyed Nonito Donaire in just two rounds. What was an exciting, dramatic 12-round fight two and a half years ago, was over almost faster than you could spell Naoya in a way. Uh, all right, Dan, your thoughts on what happened Tuesday night in Japan? Well, Tuesday night in Japan, uh, early Tuesday morning here in the United States. So I was up earlier than usual to watch that on ESPN. <laughs> Plus, you keep saying Tuesday night. I'm like, Tuesday night? No, Tuesday morning. Right. You're not in Japan. Right. But nonetheless, uh, listen, you know, I'm not surprised that it was a knockout by, in a way, you and I talked about on our BetUS pick show, boxing show. Uh, we both picked in a way by a knockout. I didn't think it was going to be two rounds. I didn't think it would be completely one-sided. You know, even if you thought that in a way was going to be the winner, uh, you know, we've never seen Donaire uh, just completely uh, obliterated like that. Even when he got knocked out, you know, a number of years ago by Nicholas Walters, that was in a featherweight title fight, two weight classes above where Donaire was against a big, strong featherweight in Walters, uh, a fight that Donaire was winning until he got clipped. Um, so no, no shame in that. But this was not a competitive fight. This was Nonito getting hurt in the first round, uh, getting dropped, you know, at the beginning, you know, at the, at late in the first round. He's lucky yeah. that the round ended because the fight probably would have been over right there. And I listened to Nonito's remarks on his YouTube channel that he has with his wife talking with his team in the dressing room after the fight because he didn't do an in-ring interview. I think he was being examined by the medical professionals in any event. He said, listen, I just never saw that punch coming. I, I was like, I heard the referee counting. Like, why is he counting? And he realized he got knocked down when he looked to the corner and saw his wife, you know, tell him to put the gloves up. And uh, <laughs> By just, the way, just, can I interject? That's never good. That's never a good sign. Keep never going. a good sign. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, and as you said, it's like, and I've heard this refrain from a thousand fighters in my time. Uh, it's the, it's the, the age old adage, you know, if you don't, you know, it, you, the, the punch you don't see is the one that does the most damage. It hurts the worst. He never saw the shot coming. He got he got nailed with the right hand on the temple and messed up his legs. And, uh, you know, he was never really the same. And he got really badly staggered with a left hand in the second round within, you know, 10 or 15 seconds after that. You know, in a way, it was just all over him and punch after punch after punch and put him down with the combination. And the ref stopped the fight. I mean, you know, he just he to TJ, sometimes you're the windshield and sometimes you're the bug. Yeah, no doubt. And and I wonder because Bernardo Osuna 
and Andre Ward were on the call remotely uh, on this, but they brought up in the brief time they had to bring it up that these were different gloves in the first time around. And I thought that was fascinating. And Andre Ward was kind of making the point that the gloves had a little less padding or whatever, for whatever reason. Yeah, no, I mean, how much of a factor was that? Give us the insight. I don't know if it's a factor in the way, in the fact that the fight uh, was that quick, but there is, I don't care what anybody says. Andre Ward would know as well as anybody as a former boxer, but my understanding is that they used winning gloves in the first fight, which is a, an Asian company that makes gloves uh, that a lot of fighters like. They're very protective of the hands relative to some other brands, supposedly. And uh, instead of for this fight, I, I think I've got it right, is that in a way elected for the Reyes gloves, the Mexican brand, which is known as the puncher's glove. What's the difference? They're boxing gloves. They're still all the same. They're still eight ounces. Well, I'm telling you, they are not the same. I have held winning gloves in my hand. And mm. Reyes gloves in my other hand. And trust me, I'd rather get hit with, I don't want to get hit at all, but I'd much rather get hit with a winning glove. Begs they the are question, like, why would Donaire agree to the switch? Or did you think he had a choice and didn't have a choice? What, what's your I'm not aware of the, I'm not aware of what went into that decision-making yeah. process. Uh, they were both champions. It may have been uh, in a way's choice because it was, you know, he was the so-called A-side. Uh, he had right. two of the titles, uh, whatever. But the point is, the, the winning gloves are much fluffier, much softer, much more padding. It feels like in the knuckle area, the Reyes gloves are still eight ounces like the winning gloves, but their weight is distributed differently. It's made with a little bit of a different material. It's, 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 uh, they're, the edges are kind of sharp. It, they're, you're going to get cut. You have much more, not, not that Donaire got cut up, but you have a much better chance of being cut with a, with a Reyes glove than you do with a winning glove. hundred percent. There's a big difference in those gloves. And, uh, and in, in the, the natural punching power of, of both of these guys would have yeah. shown in the Reyes gloves. Cause I'm sure if Donaire could have gotten off, it might've done some damage to, uh, you know, if he was wearing the Reyes gloves also would have done some damage, but there's no doubt that, that, the, that, that in a way fancies himself a puncher. He is a puncher. He, he was with uh, wearing the, the puncher's gloves as they're called. And uh, it showed because he was a devastating uh, puncher against Donaire in that fight. And look, as I said, before the fight happened, Whatever was going to go down on Tuesday, Donaire's a Hall of Famer, win or lose. Uh, it doesn't change his legacy. It would have maybe increased it had he scored the upset. Uh, he's 39 years old. He's had an awesome career. He's a great guy. Uh, he came out of the fight, uh, even though it was kind of you know disappointing. Obviously, he's not injured. Um, I don't know what he's going to do. It sounded kind of like he might fight again. Uh, if he decides to retire, good for him. Uh, but in a way, you know, has a lot of people talking about how the way he just dismissed a future Hall of Famer who'd never been destroyed like that uh a lot of people say he should be number one pound for pound right now you know because there's been kind of a vacuum tj with the canelo loss canelo was number one pretty much from everybody for right. obvious reasons with him having the defeat against bevel in may you know it sort of left that number one spot in my mind kind of vacant ish you know you can argue for in a way now you can argue i thought for spence people argue for crawford you know there are other candidates that you could uh, understandably placed number one. And so now because of that devastating performance, there are some out there that are, that are advocating that it should in fact be in a way, number one, I understand that. Um, but it's kind of vacant, but these guys, every time out now, they're going to be compared because there's a chance to become number one. Whereas before Canelo had such a stranglehold on that position on most of those lists. And in a way, again, four consecutive knockouts now in championship defenses and this unification fight. Uh, again, just he real, is just he's a tremendous fighter. I said, both hands, we all talk about both hands, Donaire is going to be in the Hall of Fame. In a way, he's going to the Hall of Fame, too, someday. Yeah, both hands have dynamite in them uh, from him. Uh, again, full credit to him.
Again, the bizarre story that while the fight was going on, his home was burglarized. I just checked again before we started recording the podcast. As we pull the curtain back, we do this on Thursday evening to release on Friday for the weekend. You may know more details if there were arrests. There have not, as far as I can tell, been any arrests. But there was a theft at his home about 60 kilometers to the south of Saitama, Japan, and also to the south of Tokyo is where he lives. His home got burglarized because he, his entourage, whoever at the fight, um, there were luxury bags with items in them, jewelry, apparently uh, burglarized, no arrest yet, but that's the only downer for what was a great week for Inouye was home burglary uh, while that fight was going on. Quick answer, do you believe an undisputed fight is coming with England's Paul Butler, who just won the WBO belt earlier in the year? Do you believe that could be happening for later this year and he may, the monster, become the latest four-belt undisputed champion? Real quick. I believe that fight is definitely happening. Uh, according to uh, Top Rank, which is the co-promoter for In a Way, even though they were really they were not really involved that much in the Japanese fight, that uh, they 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 told me that the, that the In a Way team and the Butler team have already been in touch with each other even before the Donaire fight happened. Remember, Donaire and Butler have the same promoter, so they were able to make uh, Donaire and In a Way fairly easily. There's zero reason why they can't make a Butler fight, which is, in my estimation, a much easier fight to make. And Butler came out. Uh, in in uh, comments that were distributed by his promoter, Probellum, saying how much he wanted the fight, how he wants to go to Japan to do the fight because he knows he can make more money going to Japan. So, And it's not like there's nothing that's even in the same stratosphere sure. from a financial perspective or a glory perspective uh, for, for Paul Butler than would be to fight Inouye. And for Inouye, it doesn't matter if it's Paul Butler or, you know, or, or Joe Blow. Uh, he wants the guy that has the fourth belt, and that's Paul Butler, who's in a great position. I believe that fight will happen. I also believe that Inouye is going to destroy him, and it won't be. It will be the easiest fight of his career, relatively speaking, uh, in terms of not not to say that he's going to knock him out in the two rounds, but uh, a, definitely a, a win in his column to to become the undisputed bantamweight champion. By the way, those who follow this sport as closely uh, as as we do. Uh, you know, you're right. There's never been a Bantamweight undisputed champion in the four belt era. There's never been a Bantamweight undisputed champion in the three belt era. Wow. So he would be creating a certain element of history. And again, um, I know people don't, they don't, they, there should be less belts. I wish there were, but this is the reality that we live in. There are four major organizations. It's a worldwide sport and it's hard to win the four belts. And he's, if he gets the opportunity against Butler, uh, I think there's a pretty damn good chance that he's going to get that fourth belt. And at that point, He'll move up to 122 pounds, which is where he wants to campaign after this. And, uh, you know, I know Stephen Fulton Jr. was mentioned in his name also. That, I mean, I don't, I don't know. That's a hard fight to make. But when you think fantasy fights, you got the number one guy at 118. Fulton is establishing himself uh, in, in the recent times as the number one guy at 122. That's a great fight also. Love that one. All right, we'll move on to a couple of other uh, real quick things. Joe Smith, Jr. on deck, WBO light heavyweight champion. Dan's exclusive one-on-one conversation with him in advance of the unified light heavyweight title fight that will be taking place in New York next weekend. Not this weekend, but next weekend. You'll hear that in a moment. One fight that was supposed to be on next weekend in Houston is Jermall Charlo, the twin brother of Jermell, the WBC middleweight champion. Fight is off. Dan, give us the insight Real quick, it's an injury, uh, and and how serious and how long is the delay? Can they maybe get this thing back on later in the summer? What are you hearing? He was supposed to have a hometown defense in Houston against Seleski on the Juneteenth holiday uh, in Houston, and uh, it was announced just in the last few days that he had suffered a back injury and that the fight was being postponed. Um, from what I understand from talking to people involved with the event, it was a back injury that he suffered while doing road work out running hurt the back, tweaked the back. Uh, 
So that's that's obviously a downer that the fight's postponed. But uh, the better part of it is that I was told it's not a matter of months. It's probably just a matter of weeks. Uh, not the strongest fight in the first place to begin with, let's be honest. Uh, most people viewed when Showtime announced their very grand uh, nine fights or eight fights that they that they put out, you know, their, their dates. Uh, there was a lot of great matchups on that on that list of fights. Uh, probably the weakest one, frankly, was Charlo Seleski. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, it's off for now, but it'll be rescheduled at some point, most likely before the end of the summer, probably, I guess, probably sometime in July, maybe early August. Uh, and uh, Charlo, you know, he's already been off for a year. Uh, he hasn't fought for a while, so this will be him coming back uh, in, a, in another fight where he's going to be a prohib- prohibitive favorite. You know, the, and again, we're just speculating here. I don't know. Oh, this just let me interject one yeah. thing, though, TJ. Frank Martin, the the, the lightweight yeah. that I talked to uh, um, Derek James about, that was the show he was supposed to be on. Uh, where now his fight is postponed also as you know, the whole entire so both, no doubt. And so, and look, and, and I, I'm the last one to sit here. If a guy is hurt legitimately and say, what's going on, but you and I, I see the smirk you you've done this for a long time. There, uh, there is conversation. This was not a great matchup. And suddenly the mysterious back injury has floated around in boxing for decades that maybe they're delaying this to try to reload better ticket sales later on, later in the summer. I'm not saying Listen, we have that on any authority. I'm just saying for consumption, I don't know. Please go ahead. I just know uh, the worse the ticket sales are, the sore the back gets. <laughs> the worse the ticket sales are, the more injured the hand gets. Uh huh. I'm not saying that's what happened, but right. it's, you know, throughout, it's ain't my first boxing, rodeo. Uh, throughout boxing, you've seen it probably two dozen times where a fight is delayed, like delayed, not off delayed. And it has something to do with the box office. Maybe I think both things are possible. The boxer could actually have some type of injury, mm-hmm. but if it was a big matchup that was generating lots of publicity and big ticket sales, if that was coming in, it, it's a little bit harder to postpone. Mm-hmm. If the ticket sales are soft or the publicity is negative, it makes it a little bit easier if you've got that little bit of an injury to say, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to make sure I'm hundred percent and, and, and to call be it a day. clear before somebody starts screaming at us from Showtime or PBC, we are not doctors. We're just playing it on the podcast. I am just saying for public consumption that Charlo has fought several times in Houston. This was not a great matchup and it's entirely possible. We don't know that the ticket sales were not very good. Even if he had been healthy to have the fight, so I'm just putting it out there for consumption that if they're fighting again in a month, it probably won't be in a month, but in six weeks, maybe the sales will be better in six weeks. I don't know for this, but we're just, we're just speculating. We're just speculating. I did find here. somewhat ironic that you had Seleski, who was his opponent, who was supposed to at one point fight Jaime Munguia, pulled out with an injury. They never even disclosed what the injury was. And they ended up forcing that fight <laughs> to get switched to a new date. And then he fell out altogether and they got a replacement opponent. So Seleski has been on both sides of the coin when it comes to injuries, uh, postponing dates and fights. So, uh, you know, chalk it up to, uh, it's boxing. We'll see what happens. And even without, uh, Charlo's defense fitting in the schedule, we've had a great run in recent weeks, as we have documented here on, uh, on the podcast, on the, on the website, on my newsletter, and uh, we've got more good matchups coming down the pike. So, uh, you know, we, if we have to live another six weeks without a, a middleweight Charlo title defense, I think I'll make it. Well, and Jamal Charlo, if he is injured, let's hope he gets healthy because he's an exciting Absolutely. fighter. And then let's see what happens in this fight and down the road with what else he can get involved in. 
uh, down the road if that is the case. All right, without further delay, let's get into the aforementioned conversation that involves the upcoming unified light heavyweight title. Dan has got a conversation now. All right, I would like to welcome in my very special guest today. It is none other than the WBO light heavyweight champion of the world, Joe Smith Jr., Joe, I know you're getting ready for a very significant fight coming up on June 18th at the Hulu Theater at Madison Square Garden, unifying uh, your title with the two titles against the uh, WBC and IBF champion, Arthur Better BF. Uh, so I know you're getting ready for that fight. So I appreciate you taking the time to be with me today. Thank you so much. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, you um, bet. I appreciate it. <laughs> uh, Joe, so you made your first defense. Uh, against Steve uh, Giffard in January. Yeah, he was like a late replacement for Callum Johnson, who had, I guess, come down with COVID and was not able to do the fight. You know, you know about COVID. You had it when uh, it messed up one of your previous fights. Uh, but I wonder, just when you were going into that defense, preparing for a guy like Callum Johnson, experience who actually had fought uh, in a tough, uh, competitive, uh, exciting fight against uh, Better Bev before he got stopped, but he had knocked him down. How, far, how hard is it for you to make the switch like that at the last minute from a really well-respected guy uh, you know, too, too frankly, a guy that nobody ever really had heard of. Yeah, you know, um, not too many people have heard of him, but, you know, he, he's he been around, you know, he's been in a lot of sparring, you know, he's been a sparring partner for a lot of top fighters. He, you know, he was a decent fighter himself. He had, um, you know, a good amateur background and stuff, but we didn't know anything really about him until we, you know, we knew we were fighting him. So, you know, just jumping in with somebody you know nothing about is, you know, always, um, I guess it's a scary thing because, you, you know, you don't know, you're, you're training to fight somebody, but then you're fighting somebody now with a totally different style and everything. So it was, it was tough, but, you know, you got to adapt to, you know, who you're in there with quickly and. Uh, you know, that's how you, you know, but that's what a champion does. So that's what I did. You know, I got in there, I figured him out, and then I got him out of there. Well, I was to say, you won every round on the scorecards, or almost every round on the scorecards. You stopped him in the ninth round, and I wondered, uh, based on this, the situation going in, uh, wasn't the guy you were looking to fight, but how satisfied were you with that performance? Uh, yeah, I was satisfied with it, you know, because he, he was, like I said, he, he, was, uh, he was in there to survive, you know. He right. was, he was. So by me stopping him, you know, it was a good accomplishment for me because, you know, he, he wasn't easy to get out of there because he was just trying to survive and, you know, steal grounds maybe here and there. But now I know, I put on yeah, performance. I know going into that fight, there was a lot of conversation uh, if you win, which you were expected to do, whether it was Callum Johnson or against uh, Giffard, uh, that, that, there was conversation about you know, the possibility of you fighting better be at that point. So when, when the fight was over uh, and you had won and you retained your title, how hard did you push your team uh, to make sure that they could land you this unification with better be in the next fight? I mean, for a you know, for a while now, my team knew, you know, that I wanted to fight, you know, and the top guys, you know, I, you know, I want to, I want to unify the division you know, as quickly as possible. You know, there hasn't been a um, unified uh, champion in the light heavyweight division, so I would uh, I would like to be the first to do it. But uh, you know, we got a long way to go. I got to get past Terbiev. He's a tough guy, but uh, you know, my team they got it together quick. You know, Joe Joe DeGuardia was start boxing. You know, he 
I guess he got on the phone and was making calls. You know, it was, I feel like it just, it was already set up. It was already, everything was <laughs> just worked right in into this fight happening. I don't know. And when you talk about uh, hasn't been a unified light heavyweight champion, I know you mean in the era with four belts. Uh, yeah, four, which, four belts. So yeah. this fight will result in the winner of having three of the belts. Now, I remember before you won the world title, your WBO title in the first place, you spoke to me and many others in the media about how it was a dream of yours to win a world title and it was something you were, you know, just just you know, just had worked so long for to achieve. You you did achieve that. And I wondered, is it in your yeah. is it your thought that now pretty much everything I know you still want to keep winning, keep your career going, make the big money and all that sort of stuff, but is 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 the are the other accomplishments at this point kind of like gravy, I guess, at this point? I mean, everything, everything I accomplished, you know, led me to the world title. And, you know, I'm, I'm glad I accomplished that by becoming a world champion. And now I have a new goal in mind, you know, so I want to just keep uh, working towards it and being the best I can be. I mean, I believe if I could beat Baturbiev and Bivol, you know, I could, I could be recognized as, you know, one of the best light heavyweights ever because of my background. You know, I fought a lot of world champions and beat them. When you won your title in the first place, you went all the way to Oklahoma, not exactly the place where a Long Island guy is supposed to win a world title. When you made your first defense that we just (laughs) talked about in January, you were in New York, but you're all the way on the other side of the state in Verona, uh, not really all that close to, to home. Uh, this one's in New York City at the at the theater at Madison Square Garden. It's uh, you know a quick trip in from uh, Long Island for any of your fans to come see you. So I'm wondering how how pumped up and excited are you just in general to uh, fight where you're going to be close to home and certainly the crowd's going to be rooting for you for the most part. I have to imagine uh, that that's wow, that's man. that's kind of got to be a real exciting thing for you. Yeah, it's very exciting. I mean, each day each day the fight gets closer. I get more and more amped up and more like just more hungry and you know just happy because you know i'm just looking forward to putting on a great show in front of everybody and you know and hopefully uh become the unified world champion you know and then getting getting a nice little break enjoying the summer but staying in shape and uh hopefully we can make a fight with bibble right after yeah exactly um, I'm going to get to Bivol in just a quick second, but in terms of uh, Terviev, he's 17-0 with 17 knockouts. Everybody knows about his punching power, great amateur background as a two-time Olympian. Uh, but obviously, Joe Smith Jr. has got a lot of punching power also. We, we've all witnessed you score some yeah. impressive knockouts in your career as well. Um, so I'm wondering, like, this seems to me, when I, when I handicap it in my mind, I'm like, okay, well, they can both punch. They're both experienced. They've both been on good runs. Is it the kind of fight in your mind that – Whoever sort of lands that first big shot's gonna have the upper hand and maybe can take care of business. Um, I mean, it could be that way, you know, because we both we, we both hit very hard, but we're both also very tough guys. You yeah, know, we, you know, he's been hurt before, and he's come back stronger in the next round where he he, you know, he looked great. I've been in tough fights where. You know, I pulled through and came back stronger in the next round. So, you know, the fight could be up and down. You know, it could be, you know, it's really this fight. You don't really know what's going to happen because we both could box. We both have a lot of, you know, decent experience now. He still has more than me, but we have, you know, I've been in a lot of big fights now. So I feel, you know, I'm ready for this and uh, 
I can't wait to see what happens. I mean, I look at this fight, Joe, and I've watched both of you guys a long time, and I mean, I struggle to find a way in my mind where this could possibly be anything other than at least a highly crowd-pleasing fight. Am I crazy, or do you agree with that? No, I, with our styles, it's definitely going to be a crowd-pleasing fight because you know we're both tough guys. We both have the will to win, and we're both very strong. <laughs> yeah, no doubt about that. Now, you mentioned uh, Bebo a couple of times so far in this conversation. Obviously, he has the WBA title. Uh, the winner of uh, your fight with uh, uh, you know coming up is, is going to have the other three titles. So that's the, that's the last hurdle to an undisputed four-belt champion in this weight class. He, you know, he yeah. had just scored the big victory against Canelo recently. Canelo passed on his contractual right to an immediate rematch. That says to me that, you know, and I don't think Bivol's team, they've not set up anything. He's enjoying his, his victory and, uh, and relaxing like I know you plan to do uh, for the summer also. Uh, but it puts everybody kind of on a, the winner of your fight and him kind of on a similar schedule for the fall. How, how likely do you yeah. think it is that, that that could actually be made where, you know, I can't speak for better Bia, but we can talk about Joe Smith. If Joe Smith is the winner, uh, how how likely do you think that that your team and can get together with his team and make that fight? These are not easy fights to make with the difference in promoters and networks. Yeah, I mean, we we got the job done once before and got the fight to happen. And um, you know, he if I have all all three belts, the the other three belts now, and he he's already beaten me in the past, so why wouldn't he? think he could still beat me and want a, a shot at three championships sure you know like i said i gotta you know i gotta focus on turbiev and make it through him and you know it's a tough tough fight you know we, we can't expect anything to you know just walk through him but um i'm hoping i could pull it off and make all this happen joe did you see his match with canelo and if so what did you think of that performance from him yeah, I thought he put on a great, another great show. You know, I, I kind of expected him to pull out on top on that fight because you know just his style and Canelo's style. Like he's very Canelo. He tries to be very aggressive and bully people and come forward. And Bivol isn't going to be there. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, all right, you mentioned obviously people who follow you or follow him know that in 2019, before you were a world champion, you challenged him for his WBA title. Uh, also up at uh, at the Turning Stone Casino, uh, he beat you. I mean, it wasn't really that close of a fight, let's be honest. Um, I'm wondering mm-hmm. what would be different if you were to fight him again? I mean, I, a lot. You know, a lot has changed. I have a lot more experience. And when I just when I fought him, it was, you know, after a layoff. You know, I just came back from an injury, had one fight, and jumped in the ring with a world champion who has a lot of experience that I didn't have yet. And I believe with the experience I had since, it'll be a different fight. My recollection of that, I was there ringside for that fight, was that late in that fight, I want to say the 11th round, you tell me, correct me if I'm wrong, that you, you did, the one time you broke through, you kind of, you, you had him in, in kind of some trouble there late in the fight yeah. with, with, a, with a hard shot. Uh, if, if I had uh, 10 more seconds in that round, I would have been a world champion then, but I... Uh, <laughs> I, I ran out of time. You know, I hit him right at the bell. And that, that I ending, him out. Uh, he literally, ending the he literally round? grabbed the rope and walked. He walked the rope yeah. back to his corner. Was that the end of round 11? I, I, believe, uh, I believe it might have been 10. 10. Yeah, but it was late. So, yeah. So just that, I mean, but, so know, one shot should he, give you confidence. You could do that again, I would think. 
yes, uh, you know, the key to just being a little more busy and, you know, just, you know, more, you know, picking my shots and uh, taking my time. You know, when I fought him, I was just rushing and trying to get a land a big punch. Now, and, and I'll just wrap up with this. Uh, as you go into the fight coming up next week with uh, Better Biev, I wonder, when, you know, we, we know the type of fighter you are. We've seen you, as you mentioned, you know, gut things out in tough fights. We've seen you blow guys out, knock them out, survive some tough moments. What are the, the sorts of things that, that you and your, you know, your, your training team and your group think that, that you need to work on to, to be even better when you take on this challenge uh, coming up next week? I think the key with me to come out with a victory is just to stay calm, stay relaxed, patient, and, you know, just take it round by round, you know, and, uh, you know, I believe I'll do it. And when it's all said and done, we'll hear the ring announcer say, and the new unified champ, Joe Smith Jr.? That's the plan. <laughs> That's the plan. Joe, thank you very much for uh, – taking the time out to do this with me today. I appreciate it, and uh, I wish you nothing but the best of luck coming up uh, on the fight uh, June 18th. All right, thank you. Appreciate it. You bet. All right, so Dan Rayfield, uh, that, again, the Hulu Theater, Madison Square Garden, not this weekend, next weekend. What a story Joe Smith Jr. is. I know you enjoyed talking to him. Final thought to wrap it up on that conversation? You know, it's, it's been a long road for Joe. I remember when he was coming up and no one ever heard of him and he went to Chicago on national TV on a PBC card and annihilated Andrew Fanfara in the first round and was a huge upset, opened everybody's eyes, uh, ended up scoring another huge upset later that year against Bernard Hopkins in a fight that you know, all you have to do is Google it, that if you want to get technical, I made that match. Uh, Bernard was not too thrilled that he ended up losing the fight, but nonetheless, but Joe Smith's had from, uh, from a complete uh, unknown obscurity to beating... Uh, 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 you know, a heavily favored opponent in Fanfara, scoring a dramatic big victory to, to end Bernard Hopkins' career, send him into retirement by not just beating him, by knocking him out of the ring, to then go on, have some losses, lost to Bevel, uh, had his jaw broken against Sullivan Brer, mm. persevere, come back, and get to the point where he was able to win the world title. And now uh, that was his big goal. And now, as he said in the interview, people heard, he has other goals, and that is to unify the titles. This is a tremendous fight with uh, Better Biev. I mean, two great uh, punchers, two exciting fighters. I'll be in New York for that fight next week. I cannot wait. Uh, really, really outstanding matchup. Um, you know, I think it's uh, it's it's anybody can win that fight. I mean, they're both they're both good, skillful fighters. They're both good punchers, and they both have heart. That's going to be a good matchup. And uh, the winner comes out with three belts, and hopefully uh, down the road, though, they can fight the the Dimitri Bebo fight for undisputed, whether it's a rematch with Joe Smith and Bebo or a fresh fight between Bebo and Better BF. Look forward to all of it. Great job. What do you say we predict some fights this weekend? The WBA secondary heavyweight battle in Miami. Trevor Bryan, Daniel Dubois from uh, England. Edgar Berlanga in New York for top rank in action this weekend. Also, Jaime Munguia in action. We will preview all of those. Dan, stand by. Coming up. Stay with us. We're back on Big Fight Weekend. Now, here's your host, TJ Reeves. Back in once more. Always love the insight of Dan Rayfield rejoining me as well. Our 
insider, our content partner. Reminder also, depending on when you're hearing the podcast, Dan already made reference before to our Bet US Friday preview show, Bet US TV on uh, Bet US's social channels, a YouTube page, the Bet US app. We talk Boxing Fridays one Eastern time live. You can participate, you can get in there, ask us some questions, etc. You also will see that show later on. Uh, enjoy it whenever you like on Friday or Saturday. Great betting advice. Last week, my man was five and one with his picks. You were you were I, pretty good too. I was three and one with the picks, including the knockout by Cordina. Um, you were you were right on it with Naoya in a way with a knockout. I had in a way with a knockout as well. The Fulton decision, the Haney decision. We had all of that on the Bet US show last week. So check that out as well. All right, time to get into some fight picks. We'll go over that in a second. First of all, the International Boxing Hall of Fame, something that I know that is very important to you in the history of the sport. They are finally, 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 three finallys, finally, finally, finally able to have a Hall of Fame induction for the first time in three years. There's a Showbox Series fight card that's part of the Hall of Fame weekend. Dan, tell us all about it real quick. Well, Friday night is uh, the, the Showbox, uh, and it's Interesting from the standpoint that you have uh, back there Jalalov, the 2020 Olympic gold medalist from Uzbekistan, six foot seven, 250 pounds. He's in the main event, but his promoter is Lou DiBella, and Lou DiBella is one of the many people that is going into the Hall of Fame. He was elected a few years ago, but he missed his his induction because it was canceled. So along with the 2020 class, which he was in 2021, and then this year's 2022 class, uh, all three are being inducted. And being that this is boxing. Uh, my friends at the Hall of Fame, Ed Brophy and his staff and their team, uh, they're calling it the trilogy because it's three and trilogy, of course, uh, <laughs> a play on words with the uh, great uh, three fight series we see often in the sport of boxing. So it is just a I wish I was up there. I, I really wanted to go. I wasn't able to make it this year. I've been there many times before. I grew up not that far from the Hall of Fame. It's a it's a, I've told boxing fans this a million times. If you're making your bucket list of things to do. And one of them is to see a big fight in Vegas or to see a big fight in New York or to go to a big fight in England or something along those lines. Make sure you add uh, attending a boxing, International Boxing Hall of Fame induction weekend. Uh, it's not just the inductions that are a blast, but the whole weekend of the fraternity of all the boxing people, the boxing fans. There's usually a live card like there is on Friday night. Uh, people who, who follow me, who know me, know I'm a big uh, collector of boxing memorabilia. They have a memorabilia show on Saturdays at the Canastota High School, which is walking distance from the museum uh, in Canastota. It's just a great weekend. It's, uh, it's, it's you know, it, boxing's different than other sports, TJ. You, you wouldn't be able to get close to the baseball Hall of Famers or the football Hall of Famers on their weekend. But on the Boxing Hall of Fame weekend, the boxing people, the fans, and those in the sport, the athletes, the media, the the managers, the trainers, all the other people associated with, everybody mingles together. It's a great thing. And, you know, you get a chance to to, to be close to all these different people. It's it's so much fun. And, and uh, they this haven't year had is loaded. They, they haven't had it for three years. So it's even more special, this go around. Oh, I mean, the group of people that are being inducted, just in terms of the modern men, which is the, the one category of the various categories that typically gets the most attention, Bernard Hopkins... Juan Manuel Marquez, Shane Mosley from the class of 2020, Vladimir Klitschko, Floyd Mayweather, Andre Ward mm. from the class of 2021, mm. and Miguel Cotto, Roy Jones, and James Tony, the class of 2022. And then the women are equally as good. They, they elect fewer, and that's a newer category on the uh, ballot. But you have uh, as famous women boxers as there's ever been, Christy Martin, who uh, the, uh, the boxing writers had named the Women's Fighter of the Year Award after. She's obviously been a trailblazer. Lucia Riker, her great rival that she never fought. Layla Ali. Ann Wolf, uh, Regina Homlich, the great uh, women's boxer from Germany, and Holly Holm. I mean, and then that's just the fighters. Then there's the, all the others, 
the like Lou DiBella, Kathy Duva, uh, uh, the late great wow. Dan Gooseman, who was a close friend of mine for many years. You've, I'm looking at the list here. You got uh, uh, some of the, some great journalists. You know my ringside colleagues Bernard Fernandez, Tom Hauser, Ron Borges, who all three of them I consider friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the great publicist Bill Kaplan, who I have for 20 years called Uncle Bill because that's how dear. He is to my heart. I wrote his biography for the Hall of Fame program that's going to be available in Canastota this weekend. So the group of people going in is just phenomenal. Uh, I did message in the last few days uh, with Vladimir Klitschko, who I have stayed in touch with since his retirement and have known for you know over 20 years. Uh, unfortunately, because of what's happening in his home country in Ukraine, um, you know he is not going to be at the Hall of Fame, which is a real shame because he's one of the great heavyweight champions of all time, appeared in more heavyweight title fights than anybody who ever lived. Uh, uh, and uh, it's just a shame that um, he's going to have to miss his, uh, you know, he's, it doesn't erase what he accomplished, you know, Olympic gold medalist, multi-time heavyweight champion, uh, unified the titles, at least three of the titles and, you know, made record, uh, uh, you know, on the high on the record uh, for various uh, categories, third longest title reign in terms of a number of defenses and second longest reign in terms of the calendar, the most title fight appearances than anybody, you know, it's unfortunate he, he, he should be there, but I love this class and I really wish I was there because here's the thing, TJ, all those people I just mentioned, particularly the modern men. I mean, if you add up the fights that they've had that I've covered, it's probably over a hundred, probably a hundred fights of theirs I've covered. I mean, you know, just Miguel Cotto alone, I covered like 25 of his fights, Bernard Hopkins, 20 plus 26 of his fights, something like that. I mean, Mayweather, Marquez, Mosley. I mean, these are the great fighters of my tenure as a boxing writer for the last 20 years, Roy Jones, uh, James, Tony, I mean, Klitschko, like I said, uh, you know, just just an unbelievable group of guys. Uh, Andre Ward. I mean, just just a really it, it, it's to think that they're going to Hall of Fame and, I, and I, their careers are over now for all the last few years just kind of blows my mind because I spent so much of my life reporting and chronicling what those men were doing in their careers well and said. their lives. Well said on that. And again, the Hall of Fame stretches back to the likes of Marciano or Sugar Ray Robinson comes forward to Ali and Sugar Ray Leonard and Mike Tyson, Chavez, De La Hoya, go backwards to Marvin Hagler, go backwards to Larry Holmes, you know, come forward to the greats of today. Love that. Love, love all of that. And well said uh, with all of that and good for them that they've gotten back on their feet and been able to do the induction here after they have fallen on hard times financially and otherwise they're finally back at the international box and i must say just one other thing all those people that i just mentioned uh i voted for them you know because i've been voting in the hall of fame for uh most of my career since about 2002 i think i've had is there someone just real quick and i don't want to get to the fight previews is there someone right now that's not there that you've been voting for and think should be there is there a name that comes to your mind right now hey he should have been in a couple of years ago should be in now is there one or are we pretty good and pretty up to well the, the thing is the ballot has like 40 different names i'm talking strictly about the men's mm-hmm. modern category and you they only the, the 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 rules are that they only elect three per year unless there's people that are over 80 percent of the vote in which case anybody over 80 percent would be elected so it's hard to narrow it down so there are people that are on the ballot who i have voted for who i believe should be in who just haven't had that opportunity because the ballot's been so crowded, particularly yeah. over the last few years, because a few years ago, the hall of fame changed the, the eligibility period. Instead of waiting five years from your last fight, it became three years. So that made a lot more uh, top guys eligible. And so on the ballot, currently people who I have voted for or want to vote for, but just haven't either had the opportunity to vote for because there was other people I placed ahead of them or people that I have voted for that just haven't gotten the, the support quite yet. And just off the top of my head, it's a couple people, Carl Froch, who mm-hmm. is 
you know, if you take a look at the last, the dozen or 14 fights of his career, he had a hard, tough, solid, big name, every single fight, except one sort of easier fight. Every time out, he was in a tough fight. I think he belongs in the hall of fame without question. Super middleweight, one of the great, I mean, you know, he's just had a couple of losses. He lost to Mikel Kessler, which he avenged. He lost to Andre Ward, which, you know, there was no shame in that. That was the unified titles. And it was in the final of the World Boxing Super Series. Um, I've also been voting very consistently for Timothy Bradley Jr. Um, and when I say that, I don't count the win, the win against uh, Manny Pacquiao, which, by the way, as we speak, as we tape this on Thursday, today, Thursday, is the 10th anniversary of that highway robbery oh, travesty of a decision. But I don't even include that as a victory for Bradley. So if you put that in the loss column or just negated completely, Tim Bradley has a phenomenal resume. He beat so many quality fighters. Uh, you know, the biggest win, of course, taking the Pacquiao fight out of there is a clean win against Juan Manuel Marquez, but he has many other dominating victories. When Lamont Peterson was undefeated and is mandatory, he didn't just win. He basically shut him out. I mean, you can go chapter and verse on the, on the, on the, uh, on the resume of him, not to mention, by the way, he had one of the great fights, uh, of the century against Ruslan Provodnikov, which he prevailed in. Mm-hmm. I mean, so you ask me who, who I who I think should be in there. It's those are two of the guys, but I can't say they belong in over the, the men that have been elected. So I just hope their day comes. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll see what happens with the next group of, uh, with uh, ballots when they come out in the, you know, sometime later this year. I still remember hosting nationally on Fox Sports Radio 10 years ago, as you mentioned, on June the 9th, 2012, uh, it was a Saturday night, and I began the show saying, I understand not everybody's a boxing fan, but I've been okay. watching boxing for close to 35 years, and this is the most atrocious thing I've ever seen that they just blindly robbed Manny Pacquiao of a fight that he won eight or nine rounds in, I thought. And that so, was such a big thing. Uh, I remember in, in, in Congress, <laughs> when John McCain, the senator from Arizona, was still alive, right, right. he was bringing forth some conversation and was looking to do some legislation related to boxing, and I remember having... Uh, a friend of mine, uh, so I don't even know how they saw it, but that John McCain mentioned my name on the Senate floor as part of his discussion about the Pacquiao Bradley fight. Um, and, and somebody, and I found, or I think my mother found it, like the, the you could find the, the video of it on YouTube of the C SPAN. You, you made C SPAN from the Senate I made C SPAN from John the McCain. Pacquiao exactly. Bradley fight. You're everywhere. Well, now that said, like I had interviewed John McCain before, he's a big boxing fan, yeah. and, and I had uh, met him and interviewed him. Uh, so it's not, you know, it's not like we were friends and he knew right. and he like knew me well, but he knew of me and obviously he had paid attention to boxing. So he probably at some point was sort of like, uh, you know, reading me on ESPN or going back to the USA Today days. But I got a big, on the one hand, a big kick out of the fact that that this uh, this great American politician would would discuss me uh, and Max Kellerman, by the way, in his comments on the Senate floor. Um, but unfortunately, it was in relation to one of the worst freaking decisions yeah. I ever saw in my life. People say, what's the worst decision you ever saw? I actually rank that as the number two worst decision I ever saw. The other one is not as famous, but it is equally as disgusting. And that was when they gave uh, Joel Casamayor, who at the time was the lineal lightweight champion of the world, a decision in Madison Square Garden on an undercard against Jose Armando Santa Cruz, the older brother of Leo Santa Cruz, who he knocked Casamayor down in the first round, totally dominated. Most of us at ringside had that fight 12 nothing maybe 11-1, if you could find somebody generously 10-2, and they gave Casemiro a split decision. Awful. I will, just, I will just, speaking of Roy Jones, I will just submit to you, you're talking professional boxing. Roy Jones beat that Korean in the 88 Seoul Olympics, pillar to post, as I like to say. You like my phrase. He he outlanded him like by 50 punches but here's in the three point, though, though. rounds. They actually rounds. found, 
Now, I was speaking about fights I've been to in person, right, right, right. But, but in terms of Roy Jones, at, and not that it makes it right or acceptable, at least in that case, they found years later, they proved that it was corruption. A bribery, the bribery. And they and so they put a, they've they never put done that judges with in prison, I believe. They put a, one of the judges in prison. I, I don't know about that, but they never the they never proved any corruption with the Bradley and Pacquiao fight yeah. or that Casemiro Santa Cruz fight, just, which just to me it just turned out to be just you know just uh, just incompetence or whatever, but just a bad scene. But anyway, that was the 10th anniversary. But but that all stems from the fact that I believe very strongly, and I've written about it. Bradley belongs in the Hall of Fame. Carl Frotch belongs in the fa- Hall of Fame. Hopefully their day will come. And hopefully all of the people that are being inducted this Sunday uh, enjoy themselves. It's a big honor. It's, it's the end of the road. I mean, it's the ultimate. I mean, it's all the titles and all the, all the adulation is wonderful and the, the guys who make all the big money. But you know what? Where you go down in history and you're never forgotten and where you have a legacy for all time. So when they put your little plaque up in that great museum in Canastota, New York, and, uh, and all the fans turn out on Hall of Fame weekend and you are you know, enshrined and you're there for good. You're part of the history of boxing forever. Love it. All right. Uh, let's get to the fight cards for this weekend. Again, it is not a tremendous weekend, but there is some action. All right, secondary WBA heavyweight championship. I guess the biggest component to this is that Don King at 90 years of age is still promoting a championship, air quotes, fight. It's his guy in Trevor Bryan defending the secondary WBA light heavyweight or uh, WBA heavyweight title heavyweight. in Miami. Daniel Dubois, the British star who suffered a loss about uh, two years ago during the pandemic year to Joe Joyce. That's his only defeat. He's a big knockout guy. He's an overwhelming favorite on the bet us line. Hello, Dubois minus 1200. Our over under is only three and a half rounds. Obviously the odds makers think this is going to be quick and maybe a Dubois knockout. Dan, give me a quick insightful analysis here. And is this Dubois, uh, is this a Dubois KO waiting to happen real quick? It seems like that Trevor Bryan has not shown that he doesn't have a chin. But by the same token, he hasn't fought anybody that you would take pause to think that that guy was going to knock him out. His competition level has not been at the highest level. He had a defense of this secondary belt uh, in January against Jonathan Guidry, who made a great fight, by the way, uh, even though it was not you know, the biggest deal in the world. It was just an entertaining fight. He was replacing uh, Mahmoud Char, who could not get his visa and had all kinds of problems. He was a late replacement. Um, and that was a, that was a good solid fight, but he wasn't the kind of guy that was going to necessarily knock out Trevor Bryan before that he fought an archaic ancient well past his best days, uh, Bermain Stavern, and he knocked him out late in that fight. Um, and his only other fight of consequence was when he, uh, first was in a fight against a known opponent, which was such a small level fight at the time. They didn't even televise it or stream it or anything. I've never even seen video of it when he fought against BJ Flores, who now is many years into a career of doing commentary. So Trevor is not tested against the top guys. Um, the one test that Dubois has had, I guess, was when he did fight Joe Joyce. And, but that turned out to be a competitive fight, but ultimately a loss, but adding things together that kind of can, you know, you look at the two guys and, you know, Trevor Bryan, it's not like he's not in shape, but he doesn't look like a heavyweight champion is supposed to look. He's a little flabby, mm-hmm. fair be, you know, so be it. But the point is, you look at Dubois and he's like chiseled from a piece of rock. So right off the bat, just from the eye test, you know, you're, you're going to gravitate towards uh, Daniel Dubois. Then you look at the kind of punching power he has compared to Trevor Bryan. And it feels like he's got just much bigger punching power. He is coming over to the States. He did come here once before and fight on a Jake Paul undercard, but not against a guy that's even at the remote level of a Trevor Bryan. Um, I think that the odds makers probably have it right that it's a Dubois by knockout. I just don't know if it's quite as early as the three and a half on the over under. I think I might lean towards the over on that kind of, on that kind of fight. Um, 
Uh, but you're right about Don King still promoting. You know, I do some work for the, uh, the folks at Fight, the app that is going to mm-hmm. uh, the fights on regular pay-per-view at four o'clock in the afternoon, which coincides with the British prime time for uh, Dubois because he is a draw over there. Uh, but with Don King promoting the fight and fight doing the stream, I, and I do some work with them, I had the occasion uh, this week to, to be with Don via a video conference to do an interview with him for about 35 minutes where we talked about the event and talked about the fight. And uh, Don's 90 years old and uh, still going strong. It's amazing. amazing. Only in America. And he somehow has come up with the money for this, which that's been very dubious. So here we go. Uh, Brian and Dubois, we'll see what happens there. All right. The other two fights that I have been mentioning, Edgar Berlanga, super middleweight contender, 10 round fight uh, with Alexis Angulo, Romar Alexis Angulo, who's a who's a, uh, a veteran, a super middleweight. Uh, and then also Jaime Munguia in a fight that we've already ridiculed is the headlining Golden Boy to zone main event out in Anaheim. All right, real quick for the audience. They're both overwhelming favorites. Are these both easy knockouts in the top-ranked no. main event, in the zone main event? You say no, Absolutely why? Absolutely not. Like? In terms of the Munguia fight, that's probably a little bit of an easier knockout. Munguia, for whatever reason, is doing this fight over the weight of 160 where he's been campaigning. It's billed as a super middleweight fight. I believe the contract weight is 165. Um, it, it's it's just such a meaningless fight on paper. It's it's, it's real, a true disappointment. I understand that there's times, you you know, you're not going to be in big super fights. But Munguia is now, I believe this is his sixth fight in a row since moving up to the 160-pound or north uh, division and just fighting yet another either complete nobody or just kind of second-rate kind of opponent. It's super disappointing. I mean, he'll probably win, probably do so handily. Jimmy Kilrain Kelly is coming over from the U.K., has no real resume to speak of, no accomplishment. Uh, has lost, you know, when the times he has stepped up. It, it's it's such a disinteresting fight to me. I mean, and I hate to say that because I like Munguia. I have a lot of respect for uh, what Golden Boy has been able to overcome, and and they put on some really exciting shows in recent times. Uh, you know, on paper, this just isn't one of them, and uh, it's unfortunate. Is, um, it, is it just a case of too protected? Is it a case of mismanaged, mis? I mean, because Munguia could have probably already had a title fight with Demetrius Andre. Not probably. He absolutely could and, have. And he so was... you've, you've uh, brought that up on previous podcasts, articulated again. It hasn't happened. Is it mismanagement at this point that he's not gotten a title shot at middleweight in Look, in I think when he moved years? up in weight, I think when he moved up, they weren't going to go after Andre. And I get that because he's not going to beat Andre skill for skill. Andre is his worst nightmare. He's a guy with a lot of speed, a lot of lateral movement a lot of technique, a lot of IQ, a lot of experience, a great amateur pedigree. It's like, as we've used the phrase, he's all wrong for us, baby. You know, the great <laughs> line from Rocky too that I talked about when it came time for Canelo Alvarez yep. to decide not to fight the rematch against Dimitri Bivol. So Dimitri's Andre is the epitome of what's all wrong for Jaime Munguia. So I kind of get that. But you can still go and find other opponents. Now, to their credit, they tried to make uh, a Danny Jacobs fight for this spot. They couldn't work out the money. That would have been an interesting fight. There were overtures about doing a Charlo fight, which I never really believed because Oscar De La Hoya, who, you know, in charge of Golden Boy Promotions, was talking about doing it as a joint thing with DAZN because uh, DAZN and and, uh, PBC or, you know, Showtime. That just made no sense because it's not that big of a fight and there would be no reason. It wouldn't be a pay-per-view. That just was just, to me, uh, uh, kind of a a non-starter. It just was never going to happen. but there's still, a, there's still a grade of difference between fighting Jimmy Killer and Kelly's of the world and fighting Charlo's and Danny Jacobs. I mean, I have to believe that in the super middleweight division, there's somebody that's in the middle there that's not necessarily 
as obscure and unknown as and, and unaccomplished as a Kelly compared, you know, or it doesn't have to be as big of a name or as accomplished of a name as a, as a Danny Jacobs or a Charlo. So they just didn't seem like they could find somebody there in the middle there. Um, so it's disappointing. I hope that after this fight, that, that if Munguia is the winner, that they finally figure out a way to get this guy into a bigger fight. It's just ridiculous that he's just wasting away right now. So he's exciting and he's a good guy. And, you know, I'm, I'm a, obviously a big fan of Eric Morales, who's his trainer. Um, I just don't know. I don't know. I wish I could put my finger on what the problem was. So, I mean, that's whatever that, that is what it is. Um, and in the other fight, that's the one I feel like you said, is it an easy knockout? I don't know. I haven't looked at the bet us numbers yet, but I believe Edgar Belang is in a tough fight on Saturday. You know, Belang, he's not look- uh, minus 270 on their line. So that indicates they agree with you on that. Um, and then uh, Angulo plus 215. So a fairly even from an odds makers standpoint. And again, for Berlanga, if you're not familiar, 16 consecutive first round knockouts to begin the career. But he stepped up in competition and hasn't gotten a knockout, as you know, Dan. But for the audience, in his last three fights, okay, so he's, so, talk, he's talked all week about is there a pressure to deliver a knockout here when he hasn't been able to deliver one? All right, thoughts real quick? Okay, my thoughts are I have no issue with three fights in a row without a knockout. That, as you step up competition, you're not going to get knockouts all the time. And nobody should expect a guy to get a perfect percentage of knockouts. 16 first-round knockouts was kind of fluky. And I say that because Top Rank, which is his promoter, you know, their matchmakers, Brad Goodman, Bruce Trampler, they were trying to give him opponents that would extend him rounds and he was just getting rid of them. So they were actively trying to find opponents that they felt like were going to last and fluky things happen. And it happened. I'm not saying they're all flukes, but 16 in a row was highly unusual. So the fact that he went three in a row, I mean, he went three in a row against Damon Nicholson, where he beat him, to use your phrase, pillar to post, scored a knockdown, if, I'm, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm won every round and just happened to go eight rounds because Demon Nicholson is a, is a tough dude and took a good shot. Um, the Coceres fight was the one where he got knocked down. He messed up his show. Uh, I believe it was his biceps in the third round. Yep. He ended up going the distance. He won. I actually gave him credit for that because he showed some heart and he showed the ability to adjust and overcome adversity because of the injury that occurred early in the fight, get off off the, get up off the deck from a knockdown and still go on and win where there wasn't a controversy. It was clear he was the winner. It was somewhat competitive, but he was the winner. Yeah. And by the way, that opponent had been in a world title fight and gave a tough fight to Billy Joe Saunders, not that far prior to that fight taking place. So I didn't even give him grief for that. And then he had the surgery. The one where you sort of were like, okay, maybe the bloom is off the rose, as they say, was in the most recent fight that took place also at the Madison Square Garden Hulu Theater in his, in his previous bout, where he went the distance and he just did not look very good at all in a fight where, again, he was expected to sort of blow out the guy. And, you know, he didn't. Steve, yeah, Steve Rolls, Rolls, right, the veteran, Steve you know, Rolls. Who had been knocked out by uh, Triple G in a, in a few rounds uh, at, a, at a little bit of a heavier weight. Or, no, at a little bit of a lower weight, like 164, uh, with the catch weight for that fight. And he just looked terrible against Steve Rolls. And the combination of the issues with that he did have with Coceres and then what happened in the Rolls fight, it's just sort of like there was a little bit of luster lost. So this is a tough fight for him, in my opinion. I think this is by far his best opponent. Now, I know Coceres fought for a title and acquitted himself okay against Billy Joe Saunders. Steve Rolls, although he was stopped, he had a moment or two against Golovkin. But Romer Alexis Angulo is a not necessarily at a championship level, but he's a real guy. His only losses were a decision against Gilberto Zerto Ramirez for a super middleweight title. And he also was stopped in a fight against Charlo, uh, you know, which – is no, no shame in that. Um, I take that back, not Charlo. He was stopped 
Benavides. David Benavides. They were fighting him, in yes. 2020 for the vacant, excuse me, for the what was at the time the vacant WBC middleweight title. And that was the fight where uh, Benavides was overweight. So Angulo could have won the title had he won the fight because he lost the title remained vacant, but he, he, I mean, if you're, if your two losses are to Zerto Ramirez an undefeated guy who was, uh, was a, a former champion at super middleweight has established himself as one of the best contenders at light heavyweight. And your only other losses to the undefeated knockout artist, two-time uh, title holder, David Benavides, who now holds an interim title on top of that and acquitted himself just fine in those fights. Um, you know, he's not a joke. So I think that this is a step up for Berlanga and he better have had a good camp and he better be in shape and he better be ready to go some tough rounds uh, or he's going to be in some trouble, in my opinion. All right. Again, uh, Berlanga on the knockout prop on the bet U.S. line. Interesting is plus 210 to win by knockout to win by decision. He's plus uh, 125. So it's a better value bet to taking by knockout can he get a ko against the veteran in a 10 round main event espn top rank late night saturday night we will find out i think we've come to an end it's been a busy show a lot a lot with the fight predictions a lot with the hall of fame great comments from you great interview with joe smith anything in closing dan rayfield before we're done for another weekend i'm just ready to rumble baby Let's get it. Uh, let's get it with all these different title fights. We'll see if Dubois gets that knockout Saturday afternoon, U.S. time, Saturday night, prime time in uh, in the U.K. We're interested to see what happens in that one. Berlanga headlines ESPN's top rank show in New York again. Mongia, who's got a big punch, headlines Golden Boy the Zone show, Anaheim, California, Saturday. Uh, let's find out how it all unfolds here coming up. Uh, my friends, for now, we are good. Enjoy the fights this weekend. However you found this podcast, make sure that you follow us and subscribe. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and we're back with a Fight Freaks Unite recap off the weekend. If you are subscribed, you'll get that recap automatically. Read the site as well, bigfightweekend.com, as well as the podcast for Dan Rayfield. I'm TJ Reeves. Thanks for being with us. Enjoy the fights. <laughs>